Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, so we're going to be doing another lesson in the uh, series we've been doing through the year, um, looking through Ephesians 5 and 6 and just taking a section at a time through the year. And we'll be beginning Ephesians 6 this morning, um, like Jason said. And I um, just want to very quickly emphasize again that um, with all of these instructions, there's just such a need for wisdom in really considering how to apply these things. Um, really the responsibility is on um, hearing God's word and hearing his instruction and then really just trying to individually, each of us, figure out how can we make the proper applications in our own lives, in our own circumstances. And uh, the theme of the lesson um, series really comes from Ephesians 5, uh, verse 15 through, six, through 17, where it says to be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we're going to be talking this morning about wisdom for fathers and children. It just kind of worked out by coincidence that we're getting a, a saturation of lessons and classes on parenting. Um, and just like normal caveats that I've been saying repetitiously again and again, um, I realize it's more difficult um, to listen to someone teach about parenting who literally has no experience with it. So last week, when I did a Bible class on it, I focused more on reflecting on how my parents, um, in my experience, in my past, what did my parents do that I feel like really set me on a foundation to want to seek God and to want to make my faith my own. So since I've already done that, um, I'm going to look at more in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 with the instructions here, Things that I've heard again and again and again and again and again and again from older brethren who have raised faithful children and the fruits of their parenting are very obvious with their children moving out and having a love for God. Just I've noticed that there are certain things that I just hear over and over from brethren like that. And so this lesson isn't going to be anything from my own wisdom. It's just going to be things that I've heard along the way that... Um, I know the wisdom of applying those things is much more challenging than just saying them. Um, like anything, you know, easier said than done. But I just hope that the lesson will be beneficial um, just from the perspective of things I've heard from older brethren. Um, I also want to spend a little bit of time at the end of the lesson just praying for the families here and for the kids in the congregation. Um, so I'll try to leave a little time for that and um, just try to uh, say things a little bit more um, briefly through the points. So let's, let's read uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 again. With, and we're going to start thinking about children. Um, but with these verses particularly, there is kind of an introductory thought I want to deal with before we talk specifically about um, children here. So Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I really want to emphasize just getting us into these instructions that with our household, God calls us really to have one single priority, just one, right? And so I want to illustrate it with um, a circumstance. So think about this. Imagine you have two Christians, a husband and a wife, who attend church regularly um, and their children growing up, they prove to have great talent, either athletically or academically. 
And so their parents, while, you know, taking them to church regularly and all that, um, their parents are really trying to heavily prioritize pushing their, their talents. So they have great athletic talents. They need to be given as much opportunity to excel in that as possible. They need to attend all the games they can, or academically, they need to be in all the clubs that they can be. They need to, they need to make as big an impact on the world with these talents as they can. So the child grows up, leaves the home. Um, their interest in God begins to wane. They stop attending with any congregation or really showing much concern about their faith. You know, they don't become, you know, immoral people, but they become very successful, right? So let's say somebody becomes so athletically talented that they end up in the NFL. They're on TV, they're admired. Let's say they even have good stats, right? They perform very well. Or let's say somebody became a doctor and even ends up, let's say, just for sake of illustration, they end up discovering even a cure for cancer, right? But they've abandoned the Lord. Has that been a success, right? The reason I bring this up is um, I've grown up with people who have fallen away. Um, and I'll, when I see their parents, I'll ask sometimes, hey, how is so-and-so doing? And they'll say, they're doing great. And they'll begin to talk about their achievements in the world and things that they're doing in a worldly way. And they won't even bring up the condition of their faith. And I'll walk away thinking, you know, they completely misunderstood the nature of my question. I don't care about those things. I don't care about how well they're doing in the world. And in fact, they could be succeeding to the uttermost in the world, but they've, if they've abandoned God, they're not doing great, right? So Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4, we've got one mission with our kids, right? One. Our highest and most focused ambition is our kids need to grow up to love God. That's it. So verses 1 through 3 deal with children, and then verse 4 deals with fathers, I think the instruction to children is in a passive way an instruction to parents. We'll talk about that in a moment. But just like with all the other lessons, when we're dealing with applications for someone else we may be close to in our household, it's very easy. I mean, I think I grew up seeing this where somebody talks about children needing to obey their parents and the parent looks at the kid and kind of nudges them on the shoulder, is like, hey, you know, don't you see, like, you're supposed to be obeying me. Um, but we'll, we'll talk more about that. So a couple of simple things, just kind of just looking right at the scripture here. Uh, verse 1, this, this is all very simple, and children have a very simple responsibility that they need to learn. They simply need to obey their parents and the Lord, for this is right. So simple. Children need to, do, need to learn to do the right thing for the right reason. Um, in the Lord, obey your parents in the Lord, I think obviously that could mean... You know, if your parents tell you to do something sinful or lead you in that direction, obviously you don't follow that. You do it for the Lord. And in fact, in all of these relational instructions, God is actually the center of it all. Whether wife to a husband, husband to a wife, whether it's a slave to a master, a master to a slave, all of these relationships have God at the very center and focus of the relationship, right? But I think it's not just obey your parents in the Lord as in only when they tell you to do something good, but rather, it's also an attitude. Um, if you look down at verse 5, I think it's very similar to slaves to their masters. Slaves aren't just to do what their masters want. They're to do things with sincerity, uh, in verse 5 at the end of the verse, in the sincerity of their heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men, men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So again, children aren't to learn in their households just to begrudgingly do the right thing. 
but obviously parents need to serve and help their children to equip them to learn to have the right attitude compelling that obedience. And I think that's where you kind of get in the idea of um, what it means to honor your father and mother. So obedience itself is an action that is directed by the will of another person. But honor is more an attitude that would hold that person in the highest possible regard, right? So what we're talking about here is not just obedience externally, but having the right attitude, and not just even the right attitude, but children learning to hold their parents in the highest esteem. Obviously, this can be really challenging for some of us who are older, right? Um, Not all of us had parents who were honorable, and not all of us who had parents who even were necessarily even trying to do the right thing, right? Um, But that's a part of the instruction, right, is we're, we're learning how to do what God says even when it's difficult. And for those of us who don't have kids yet or do have young kids, it's very critical that we create an environment in our households then where we are equipping our children to have these attitudes, not just these behaviors. And with this promise, so you'll notice in verse 2 and 3, it's kind of thrown in there, this is actually the first commandment with the promise. That comes from Exodus when Moses gave the Ten Commandments. You can kind of split the Ten Commandments in half where you have the commands that are seemingly more exclusive to your attitude toward God, uh, your relationship with God, and then the second half of the commandments are your relationship to other people. And the first commandment in your relationship to other people is this one, honor your father and mother that it may be well with you that you may live long in the land. I want to make a suggestion with this. Um, It can sound like this is in verse 3. The promise is that you'll be able to live a reasonable life without trouble that other people will probably end up falling into. Um, I think that's true, obviously, if you live a life of integrity and um, you live a life of godliness, um, you're probably not going to be getting in trouble with the law because of breaking the law. Um, But look at Psalm 37, verse 27 through 29. I think in the Old Testament even, spiritually-minded people perceived these promises in a way that was not just temporal and not just related to the present life. And I think this will really help open up why it's so critical for children to learn to obey and honor their parents. Look at Psalm 37, verses 27 through 29. And what you're looking for here is how the psalmist understands a promise like living long in the land. And what do they really see in that? Um, Proverbs 37, verses 27 through 29. Depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. But the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. So look especially at verse 29. So often the psalmists, they struggle with the reality that the wicked actually seem to be dominant. They seem to be prosperous. It's actually the righteous by appearances that seem to be getting cut off by the wicked. But when the psalmists were thinking in accordance with God's promises in a spiritually focused way, they understood that the reality was it's actually the righteous that are going to have true, a true inheritance where God plants them, right? So children learning to obey their parents isn't just about not getting in trouble with the police later in life. 
or being able to do hard work at their job and be able to keep a job and be hardworking and work with integrity and honesty. But really, things that are instilled within children and the foundation that they're set on in their childhood in so many critical ways impacts their eternal relationship with God and really is going to, again, in so many ways, dictate how does a child see God? How does a child understand God? Will a child love God when they grow older? And will they want to serve God? And again, God can repair any degree of brokenness when a person humbles themselves, but that that doesn't change how important this foundation is, right? So I just leave that with you. So with parents, um, again, I think this is in in a passive way, really an instruction to parents. Um, Children aren't just going to magically learn to obey and honor their parents, right? That's something that needs to be diligently instilled within them and... and, uh, Uh, served. Um, They need to be equipped on that. So the plank always needs to be in the parent's eye. Um, And what I have on the board is, it's unreasonable to expect from children what you are not diligently earning. You know, so if a parent is not earning the honor of their children by um, uh, behaving themselves humbly and respectfully and investing love in their child, then it's unreasonable to just magically expect that the child is going to understand to show them that honor that they're not even earning themselves. But with that as well, it's not reasonable to expect what they're not also training their children to do as well. So really, this is a responsibility for parents, that children need to learn that they need to have an environment where they're able to gladly obey and see the joy of obedience and connecting that with the Lord, but also learning the importance of honor and the beauty and the joy of honor. And I want to just look at a few Proverbs um, with this point. Uh, I think these, just with the nature of the lesson, um, have wisdom that I think is really critical and, and easy to overlook. There's a proverb that says, there is no counsel, there is no plan against the Lord. And the idea is if God says something is good, if God says something ought to be done, nothing else matters at that point, right? So these are verses that talk about discipline. Proverbs 13, 24, he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. The reason I bring up the other proverb, not on the board, there's no counsel, no planning against the Lord. Culture will obviously aggressively say that, um, uh, very often they'll say corporal punishment, things like spanking is abuse. And I think maybe in some of our experiences that we've had here, we may have had parents that really disciplined improperly. Like maybe they were outright abusive and when they spanked or when they hit, the communication wasn't there, the love wasn't there, the encouragement wasn't there. They just hit out of anger. Um, They hit out of selfishness. They they hit out of consistent severity, um, not really looking out after the child's best interest. And so... I would just encourage you to not read those things into these texts. We'll talk more about the importance of discipline along with love and having that balance. Um, But I want to suggest to you, every single older brother, every single one who has raised faithful children will encourage corporal punishment with kids and spanking. Um, They'll encourage it with wisdom. They'll encourage it with communicating consequences ahead of time. But they'll make the same point again, and I've heard it so many times, that while culture will say, this is not wisdom, God's word in a book of wisdom still says it. Proverbs 22:15: foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, 
but the heart, the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. So this verse isn't saying that children are like born into sin and have sinful inclinations or anything like that. Um, it's really the idea that children are born without a comprehension of consequences, boundaries, and it's the responsibility of parents to help a child navigate life and understand there are consequences to your decisions. There are things that you don't see immediately that are going to happen because of your decision. So you need to be thinking, like we've said, long-term, the bigger picture, the ripple effect. You may want things that you don't really need. You may desire things that are actually just going to hurt you in ways you don't understand. And so children need to learn the importance of consequences, seriousness, severity, seeing things from a way that's not just immediate pleasure, but learning delayed gratification and the importance of self-control. Proverbs 29:15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. And again, thinking outside of your own perspective, realizing that there is a ripple effect that the immediate will not display. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. So again, this is not from my experience, but something I hear again and again and again and again is I hear parents say that little children are very strong-willed. They're going to test your word. They're going to test the boundaries that you set. And then when you try to keep those boundaries, they're going to scream and cry, and it's going to become a power struggle. And what I hear again and again from older brethren is you have to be smart about the battles you pick and the boundaries you set. So it's not that you're just creating thousands of rules and everywhere the child turns, they're going to break one of your rules. So, you know, be smart about the battles that you pick and the boundaries that you set. But if you set a boundary, you better win that battle. Because if a child wins that battle, each time they win, it is going to embolden them to rebel. Again, not from my experience, but just from things I hear over and over and over again. So let's get into the instruction of fathers. Um, and in chapter 6, verse 4, fathers are told not to provoke their children to anger. I want to focus for um, a little bit just on that statement alone, um, because I really think that that's really critical. I think it's emphasized even more in its critical nature. And um, we'll come back to that first statement. But in Colossians 3.21, it's the parallel instruction in Colossians. And fathers are actually not told in Colossians to bring their children up in the discipline instruction of the Lord. The only thing that a father is told in Colossians 3, do not exasperate your children, that they not lose heart. It's the only thing. So this, this is critical for fathers to learn, not just in taking responsibility for raising their children and taking the lead, but in understanding what this means not to exasperate children. So fathers, fundamentally, this is going to be the drive of the points here. Fathers need to be aware of the hearts of their children and the condition of their hearts. It's not about just molding behaviors. It's not just getting your child to do what you say. It's about molding and shaping their hearts and understanding the work, the nature of the work that connects to the heart. Obviously, if a parent isn't even in tune with their own heart, if they're hard-hearted, that's just, it's going to be lost. But like we've talked so many times, Jesus, we've talked about so many times now, Jesus trains us to be students of our own hearts. Jesus was so aware, not just of the condition of his heart, but of where the condition of his uh, disciples' hearts were. So what would it mean then to exasperate? I want to start by definition and illustration. 
I think this word is not the most helpful to define. Um, basically, it just means to irritate or to provoke, to anger. Um, but I think there's a specific way that happens that leads into that that is really important with this word, the idea of exasperating. Um, so th these illustrations might be helpful. It's kind of like if you take Play-Doh or putty and you stretch it, and then at some point very quickly it's going to break apart because it can only stretch so far, right? And that's like a heart, the heart of a child. It can only be stretched so far before it breaks and rips. Um, it's kind of like whenever I help someone move and we move big furniture, every single time I carry a large wooden item, I put my hands under it in a way that for about five seconds feels comfortable. So we lift it and start walking. And then almost immediately when we start walking, it starts ripping into my hands. And I'm like, put it down, put it down, put it down. Because my hands are exasperated, right? Um, and that's something with me because the other person is always like, what's your problem? Like, why, you know, so I always tend to have that grip. So it's the idea of something, something that might be okay for a minute or can be tolerated for a little bit. It stretches, it goes too far, and it becomes unbearable and with a child's heart can lead to bitterness, resentment, hidden grief, um, disconnect of relationship, um, being shut down and shut off. So what can cause this? I think really the big thing, I think at first, is ultimately neglect. My brother... Um, he's got two little kids and there's an older brother in Minnesota that him and I both really respect a lot. He sat down with this older brother and asked him, you know, hey, what advice do you have me raising my kids or have for me? And this older brother just said, love them. Just love them. And obviously love encompasses everything, but what he means is invest in your kids. Spend time with them. Don't neglect them. Um, what I've seen, unfortunately, and, and I'm not referring to any parents here, but just something, something I've seen is I've seen parents who believe strongly in the Proverbs, you know, rod of discipline drives away foolishness and got to discipline them diligently. And I've seen parents who they'll strongly and boldly advocate those Proverbs and their kids are out of control. And it's obvious when you see the kids and the relationship the parents have that the reason there are behavioral problems is the parents spend almost no time with their kids. And their kids just want the attention of their parents. They're craving it. And so think about this. When the parent is in that front mind frame and then the kid is misbehaving because he actually, he or she, really just wants attention and affection. And the parent sees them misbehaving, but they're convinced, well, I just I got to discipline them more. What's their response? Their response isn't, well, maybe I need to be actually paying more attention to my kids. It's I need to hit them more. You know, go in the corner or they spank him some more. And you, again, you're exasperating the problem because you're overlooking the fact that their heart needs invested love. One of the best things my parents did for me is they invested in my brother and I. Um, they, they spent so much time with us. They loved us. They prioritized us. And so this whole thing with people who grow up with Christian parents and they're like, oh, people in the Church of Christ, they're like Pharisees and there's no love or no grace. Wow, that, that to me growing up was, was shocking that people would think that. And I think a lot of that comes from people who grow up with strict parents who will boldly claim doctrinal allegiances, but they're neglecting their kids. And so they don't grow up seeing that balance, that truth is exalted by love and grace. And then, of course, excessive severity. Child, children who are being disciplined by their parents because their parents are out of control, have severe tempers, Obviously, anybody is going to need to work on struggling with 
anger and putting that away and being reflective. But there's a big difference between someone who's willing to humble themselves when they become angry and make that right with their children and somebody who just consistently is blowing up and is constantly excessive and is going way too far in the way they're disciplining their children. And then you get people who think, okay, you know, I, I need to not even discipline my children corporally because I was abused. So you just you get so many problems. Inconsistency, parents who set boundaries, they won't keep them. They say something, they don't follow up on it. Their boundaries are confusing because they're constantly saying things. There's no, there's no clarity. So, so inconsistency can be exasperating. Hypocrisy. Um, children are incredibly good lie detectors. And so if, if a parent is really just hard-hearted and hypocritical, I mean, that's just going to shut a kid down and um, really going to affect their heart. Excessive rules. Um, I know that, that can sound strange, but my dad said something over and over again as I was growing up that he, he still reflects on his, in his adulthood. Well, his adulthood, my adulthood. Um, he mentioned that what he would try to do is, in matters of sin and selfishness, he would try to be very clear and enforce discipline. But matters where God's not saying that anything is a sin, where there's liberty, he would just give total freedom. Total freedom. And so I never felt like in my childhood my parents disciplined me, that they were being unreasonable. I mean, I was spanked when I was a kid. I know um, Eva and John, that their, their parents, they spanked them. And I look back and I could see I really needed that and deserved it when they did it. And I'm very thankful that my parents, parents did that. Um, but anyway, with matters of liberty, my parents would try to um, really give us a lot of liberty in the way that we were raised. But with matters of sin, there, there was seriousness. There was discipline in serious matters. And then expectations. Um, I heard an older brother reflecting on the fact that with his parents, he would come back from school, bring back the report card, C's, B's, you know, mixed grades. And his parents always expected more. It was never good enough. So the expectation was always beyond their reach. There was no praise. There was no liberty with, you know, we're proud of you no matter what. You know, we're just, we're, we're thankful for who you are. There was just constant demand for more, a constant demand for better. And obviously that can be, that can be exasperating. Again, uh, I haven't raised kids, just things that I hear consistently from older brethren. And I think with not exasperating your kids, this can be hard to understand as we get older and we're trying to recover from having a hardened heart. But it's really critical to keep in mind an innocent heart is an extremely tender and vulnerable heart. And an innocent heart is very tender and very vulnerable. And that's why humility is, is critical. In Ephesians 4, after it talks about walking worthy of the calling that we've been called by, do you remember the very first instruction? It says, with all humility. And that's where it gets into relational commands with brethren. Because humility makes you hyper-aware of the heart. Humility is what makes you more aware of tension in relationships. It's amazing how you can end up tolerating an elephant in the room and just kind of existing like it's not there or kind of tucking it in the closet and we're just not going to deal with that. That's pride. Humility is hyper aware of causes of tensions in relationships. And so a parent with humility will be more aware of the condition of their child's heart and any tension that's being created that needs to be resolved. And humility will sacrifice self for peace. And again, something I hear consistently from parents of brethren 
who have grown up and love God is they have no problem humbling themselves before their children, apologizing to them and asking for their forgiveness when they've clearly done wrong. That's critical. I've seen that in my parents. I've seen that in my dad. And again, the effect that that has on a child's heart, it's difficult to articulate, but it is substantial. And it does convey a truth of godliness that is completely thrown in the garbage if those things aren't being done because of pride. One scripture, Ecclesiastes 11. Um, I've brought this up before, and I may have mentioned this when I brought it up not that long ago, a few months ago in a lesson. But if there's one scripture I intensely regret overlooking and not bothering to train myself to follow, there's one scripture I, I just intensely regret overlooking. It's this one right here. Um, Ecclesiastes 11, 9 and 10. I think just like Ephesians 6, the instruction is to the young, but I think we need to take that also as an instruction to parents. Um, Ecclesiastes 11, 9, and 10. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of your manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body, because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. So, I don't know, on a cursory reading, you could read this and you could think, you know, this is almost like a dare or like reverse psychology, right? Like, what I mean is in verse 9, he, might, he says, follow the impulses of your heart, the desires of your eyes, yet, who are you going to get in trouble? You know, that's, I don't think that's the point. What he's saying is God gives you freedom, but keep your freedom innocent. Just don't let things go so far that you end up into idolatry, that you're treating vanity as if it's something substantial and meaningful when it's nothing. And that's really the theme of Ecclesiastes is what the world offers is vanity. So learning how to have joy in a deeply broken world is a discipline. And so the end of the book, he summarizes, okay, so to you who are young, learn to rejoice in your life. Learn to live in the freedom that God has given you and let your heart be pleasant. Follow the impulses of your heart, the desires of your eyes. Just don't let that lead you into sin and lose the innocence of this freedom and this joy. And I love verse 10. And this again with exasperating. Remove grief and anger from your heart. If I were to ask everybody in this room, how did you do with that when you were a teenager? How did you do with removing grief and anger from your heart as a teenager? So here's what happened to me. I became deeply angry and embittered as a teenager. And because I wasn't really being serious about my relationship with God, like I ought to have been, I sought refuge in the world and in things the world could offer me. And so I would get comfort by over-investing in worldly activities. And it became something idolatrous. And because I invested so much in finding comfort and joy from the world and not from the Lord, then that led me down a path deep into apostasy that eventually resulted just in a, a rock bottom. Um, so verse 10, it's critical that we understand children are going to need help to deal with emotions they don't know how to handle, dealing with grief that is overwhelming, dealing with anger that could result in a hard heart and bitterness, and they're going to need help by their parents to be really aware of this. And again, I can just tell you adamantly, I wish, I wish I would have learned this. I wish this would have been uh, taught to me when I was younger. 
Um, yeah. Bring them up in the Lord. Back in Ephesians 6, um, the addresses to fathers. Obviously, mothers are going to be spending the most time with kids um, in most households. Um, but in most situations, you know, the father is going to be working uh, and you know, in, in, in many situations, the mother may be able to even stay at home with the kids. So the mother will be spending the majority of the time raising the kids. But that doesn't change the fact that God puts the responsibility mainly upon the father. The father needs to take responsibility for uh, setting up the rules and the understanding of how things are going to happen in the household. So it's fathers who are responsible for raising up their children in the discipline of God's love. Also with Ephesians 6 verse 4, just kind of as a, a cursory thing, bringing them up in the, in the discipline and the admonition or instruction of the Lord is not just disciplining moral wrongs and rewarding moral rights. We're dealing with loving God as itself a discipline. To love God is a discipline. To see how God is worth everything is a discipline. Prayer and a love of the truth, not being like the world, Ecclesiastes 11 and learning how to put pain away from our body, all of those things are a discipline that require training and time and focused, thoughtful energy and investment. So again, this, this requires parents to be willing to make sacrifices. If I, if I need to be more thoughtful about raising children, it may mean that I need to take my mind away from other things that really ultimately just don't matter as much. It may mean that I've got to spend less time on other things that, again, ultimately just don't mean as much. In examples that I brought up of parents who are neglecting their kids and their kids are having behavioral problems just because they want attention, they, they are, they're craving time with their parents, um, their parents are oftentimes, they're, they're busying themselves with things that are completely unnecessary. And it's like this, this obsession where I've got to be busy with this and, and now I've got to do that and now that I've got to do this too. And, you know, I think it, there's a humility to just really evaluating where you're putting your energy. Do you really need to be spending your time on this and this and this? And, okay, with your kids, are they really getting the love and the attention that they really need? Again, these are just things that parents just really need to take really seriously because like we've talked about, you've got one chance, like what Jason said in the Bible class this morning. You've got one chance. And when you look back from heaven, what are you going to see? So what does this mean? Um, I just want to bring up a couple simple things. But turn back to Ephesians, and I just want to very briefly just point back at some things. What does it mean to raise your kids in the discipline and admonition of the Lord? Um, I think in the beginning of chapter 4, it's remembering in chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, that God calls us to humility, to have patience with people, tolerance for one another, preserving the bond of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit, and the bond of peace. Doctrinal seriousness in verses 4 through 6, and also in verses 14 and 15. Again, my parents, I, I really appreciate that my dad explained and trained us to understand sound doctrine, to love the truth, and to understand how to treat Jesus as a king. Again, the whole people who grew up with Christian parents and they reject the authority of God, it's, it's strange to me because when you have love and truth being balanced in the example of parents, I, just, I don't see how you can come away with that. God's word clearly reflects the importance of sound doctrine and we're not doing our children any favors 
if we're ne- neglecting to explain that, what that looks like and why. Um, but then you see in verse 17 through 32, not being like the world, putting away anger, deceit, putting on kindness in verse 32, a tender heart and forgiveness. Chapter 5, like we've talked about, imitating God as beloved children, walking in love, putting away immorality and idolatry. And so all of the things in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 and all of those instructions, fathers need to be striving to cultivate a household where these things are being realized proactively, where these are applications that are being striven for, are being taught and communicated and trained, not just to kids, but first in the parents as well. So, in uh, Song of Solomon, I'm going to go back to Song of Solomon. This is another Old Testament um, passage that I think is really relevant to childhood. That just like Ecclesiastes 11, I really regret um, not applying this and understanding this as I was growing up. Um, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. So again, this is kind of at the conclusion of the book. And I think Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon both at their conclusions are like, hey, young person, listen, this is actually, this has all been for you. So Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. So after all is said and done in the book, he says, we have a little sister. She has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? So basically, we've got a young girl, you know, and kind of is maybe putting it in more relevant terms. She hasn't hit puberty. You know, we're trying to prepare for marriage. What can we take away from the lessons of this book for our younger sister? Verse 9, if she is a wall, we will build on her with a, a battlement of silver. If she is a door, we will barricade her with planks of cedar. So, children need to be taught the value of guarding purity, especially young girls. That means modesty, the importance of covering your body, um, modesty in appearance, behavior, attitude, how to deal with sexual temptation and passion. I know it's obviously extremely awkward, but I really wish my parents would have spent more time equipping me to deal with that reality in my teenage years. But also romantic desire, and just like what Jason mentioned in the Bible class, trying to equip our children to know the beauty of what they should be looking for in the Lord, which I think is the point of Song of Solomon. You have a beautiful story of two people who are both infatuated with each other, but it's being carefully guarded in the boundaries of the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 4 of this chapter. This is the theme of the book. This is the statement that said over and over and over again in Song of Solomon. I want you to swear, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not... um, Arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. So these are individuals in Song of Solomon who love one another before they're seemingly married in the book. They are spending time together. They're romantically interested in one another. And again, they're, it's like they're infatuated with each other. But it's, it's controlled. And there's a beauty to that control. That joy is being kept in innocence, like Ecclesiastes. And so you see in, in Song of Solomon an emphasis on Romantic love is beautiful. God designed romantic love. But romantic love doesn't need to be something that is just the world's to define. Because if we don't define that and help our children understand that in the Lord, where are they going to be learning about what romantic love should look like? 
And where are they going to be investing their sexual passions as they become teenagers? And if an open door isn't with the parents, then there's a lot of liberty then for secrecy and for shame to only encourage greater secrecy. And so again, Song of Solomon 8, 8 and 9, um, I think is, is really critical and directed to young people. Um, so I do, I do want to stop there and, and just reemphasize again, in Ephesians, we see an outline of what it looks like to really seek to raise our children in godliness and in faith and the importance of what that looks like in terms of a household and what to focus on. But I'd like to spend just a minute at the end of the lesson um, praying for our families and for the kids in our household as well. If you'll pray with me. Uh, Father, um, God, please help us in this congregation. There's so many young families, so many young families that are trying to learn how to have your wisdom with raising their children. And there's just so much uncertainty and difficulty and trying to navigate um, how to do that. And so just bless the parents in this congregation, Father, to not only gain wisdom, but just bless them to have assurance in you. Just help our families to really put the kingdom first and to model the character of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and a love for him. Please bless fathers to really lead in their households and please empower that and, and, and help that to um, be cultivated more and more. Please help our husbands and wives to all work together in unity and to know how to balance discipline and boundaries with love and affection and encouragement and joy. Please bless the children in our congregation, the little hearts that are so vulnerable. Please help those little hearts to be molded, God, and um, Help them to love you and desire you and to see faith being embodied in true ways that encourage substantial faith and rooted faith and uh, remove doubt and remove so many worldly obstacles that would undermine the glory of your son. Help us to be a humble people, God. Help us to be willing to constantly reflect on our decisions to seek counsel, to seek wisdom, and especially from your word, to just let your word be the absolute guide, the absolute authority of all that we do. And so God, just please help our children with their futures. Please protect them, God, from Satan. Please guard them, God, and equip them to have such humility that they would humble themselves when sin eventually enters their life, to love their parents, to honor them, and that the parents of this congregation would understand how to cultivate respect and honor and humility in their children. Please help us, God. We're helpless without you. Our greatest efforts are nothing without you. It is only you that accomplishes these things, Father. And so just do your work, Father, that we cannot do. And please help us to see the fruitfulness of trusting in you in all things. In your son's name, amen. Um, so again, I'll read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And after that, um, we'll stand and sing our invitation song if anyone needs to bring anything forward. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If there's anything we can do for you this morning, uh, let it be known as we stand and sing. Invitation song.